Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. And today I'm so thrilled to welcome our guest, Joetta Juliba. Joetta works as a K-12 teaching assistant while earning her degree in education. She's the founder of the Makaitis Dancers, a mentorship program that teaches girls traditional African dances, and the Makaitis Heart Foundation, which works to advance education in Liberia. Joetta and her family resettled in Boise in 2003 when she was 10 years old. She graduated from Boise High School in 2012 and later earned the title of Miss Africa, Idaho, representing Liberia. Welcome, Joetta. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So glad to be talking with you today. Um, I want to start out by hearing more about you and what inspired you to become a teacher and a mentor. When I was in the refugee camp, um, we didn't get much of an opportunity to um, go to school um, due to funding because uh, we lived in a camp um, that is not in our country. We uh, lived in a camp in Ivory Coast, and which they designated like a spot for us to be in just for the time being until our country was safe to um, go back into. And throughout that process, we uh, lived in poverty, so we weren't able to um, go to school. So when I always worked with kids, as um, being the older girl in the family, it was a very normal thing for me to take on the responsibility um, of the children and making sure that, you know, everybody's kept and I always, you know, I enjoyed doing that. So I was like, huh. And I also did a lot of dancing with um, kids in our community during um, throughout the camp. And when I came here, got the opportunity to come here, I was um, inspired by one of my teachers, my fourth grade teacher. Uh, her name is Miss Lincoln. And after working with her, I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to be when I grow up. And yeah, teaching became it. Wow, that's really cool. You had mentioned that you were born in Liberia, but only lived there for one or two years before the Civil War um, caused your family to have to leave with other families and, and live in the neighboring country of the Ivory Coast in Western Africa. So tell us a little bit more about what that was like to live with other Liberians um, in a country um, neighboring your own and, and what kind of um, culture and community and traditions you were able to have there together and what your childhood, what, what kind of comes to mind when you remember your childhood there? What comes to mind when I remember my childhood is hard work, a community, and um, family. I, for a long time, I didn't even know that I lived in a refugee camp. I just thought that was where we lived, and I didn't understand until my mom, um, she kept talking about America, America, and going there. So I was like, okay, mom, why are you talking about this place called America? And everybody's talking about it, what's going on there. And she's like, oh, this is not our country. And then she started to tell more of our history of um, us being in somebody else's country for safety. And I'm like, and now you want to go to somebody else's country for another, uh, you know, safety reasons. But um, that's pretty much like my childhood was just growing up on a farm. I did... Um, I was very young. I woke up at 5 a.m., sometime 4. I did my chores like I'm, I was supposed to. I was that child that did what she was told. I didn't question. I just did it. Um, and my friends were with me. They did it, too. So I, my mom installed, like, hard work, and she t always told me that 
if you don't work for it, don't expect it. So, um, and I grew up with that and, and I know I work hard. Um, and also how important it is to take care of those around you when you're able to. My mom also, you know, she also told me, she's like, hey, if you're able to, once you're stable, don't forget the others. And that's what we've been doing. Um, kids who took care of random people's kids. And some sometimes my mom would be on the farm and somebody else would take care of us. You know, if we didn't have food, if she came back late, it was it was like a cycle where we knew we were in a different country. Um, so we had to hold on to each other. And I grew up with my Liberian culture because they designated that area just for Liberians. So that's what I grew up with the culture. I didn't know the country um, that I was born in, but I grew up with the culture. So I knew the culture uh, very well. On that. Tell me about the process that your family went through to be able to gain refugee status to even relocate to the United States. What was that like for you as a young girl? As a, when, uh, once my mom explained it to me, I was like, like about eight, nine. Um, she explained that, hey, this is place, like I said, um, called America, where, you know, there's uh, more opportunity for us and that we would for sure be safe. You know, you guys would be able to go to school. And so when like throughout that whole year, because I came here when I was 10, like me being nine years old, that's all my friend and I talked to talk about when we imagine what it would look like, what it would feel like. We come up with all these stories and, and things that we even try to like talk like what we call uh, qui, qui, which meaning white people. We try to talk like <laughs> white people and we try to talk um, Siri, Siri, which means like their English. We, <laughs> so we try to be anything, everything possible for us to like, I guess, blend in with them when we go. And um, that process, uh, we had to put our names. So what they do is the UN to come and it's like a lottery system. You put your name in the box your family's name and uh, they pick like 100 families and uh, um, from the box. So if your name gets called, they wrote them, uh, take you from the camp and take you to the capital city and the capital city. We are put in a fence where we share a little room. Sometimes we share with four families. Some people share with more depending on how big the rooms are. And we uh, share like a one stove top, which is, um, is like the portable stove. We shared that. And for us, we were excited because we're like, all this is going to be done soon. All this is, we keep telling ourselves that all this is going to be done soon. But the the part that they didn't tell us is, was um, when we migrate, like they move us to the um, capital city, um, we had to go through some serious testing to, according to that, to make sure that we were genuine, we're telling the truth. And that uh, we weren't going to hurt people when we uh, came here. So everybody had to go through the test. And unfortunately, some families didn't pass the test because they took some um, one else's kid. They thought that they were automatically coming to America when their names got called. They didn't know that they were going to be put in a fence for like a few months, going through a series of testing and um, shots and things like that just to, to see if they can pass to the I call next level. So yeah, families that and, are just trying to help out another family, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, you're mm-hmm. trying to give their kids an opportunity got, got, by going with mm-hmm. friends, and that barred them from. 
coming. Yeah. And um, so for us, we went through the process and the day came where they were calling names for people to now move on. Meaning you pass that level, you're going to America. And the guy that was calling the names, he called, we were waiting and I was with my family and um, the guy called the name and um, he didn't call our name. And so we looked at our, our mother and she said, hey, if God said it's time, it would be time. And so the everybody got their stuff and they left, the, the bus left. And we were getting ready to move back to the camp. And my mom said, don't worry. You know, like I said, when it's God's time, he will make it happen. And then next thing you know, about 20 minutes later, the bus turned around and came back. And they're like, and this lady, the white lady, like she walked off the bus and she was like, I'm looking for the Jurube family. And as we were packing, a little kid came and started calling our name. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, what is she? They're like, they're looking for you guys. And we went and the lady was like, are you guys the Jurube family? And we're like, yeah. She's like, you're on the original list. You're supposed to be on this bus. And we're like, what do you mean? We were on this list. Wow. We're supposed to be on this bus. And the guy told us that we didn't make it. And then she said, I have the original list. And this list tells me that you belong here. And that, Ruth, wow. <laughs> that, that. What a roller coaster for you guys. How cool yeah, that your it, mom was so grounded in that moment. Yeah, and she's like, I knew she was upset, but she had to keep it together. She was still had to give us something to hold on to. Mm. And and that's why my faith is so rooted in God, because I, I know, like, I grew up with it with my mom. And she, and he showed as a little child, he, like, literally showed me when everybody else was being left. And one family, she could have just left, but she turned everybody around and came and picked us up. Wow. What so that's, that's our process. <laughs> and now we're here today. So you, I'm picturing your family. So it's your mom, you as a 10-year-old, and who else comes over to the States? My father, he's, um, he was 14. And then my little sister, uh, which is Naomi, was, she was five. And then my youngest sister, and Evelyn, she was uh, she two. She was two at that time. Wow. And uh, yeah, and mom, just my mom. And she said, on the bus, she said, when God says time, is time. Nobody can change that. And I was like, girl, you have no idea. <laughs> the 10-year-old me was like, you know, remember thinking like, wow, I'm really going to be in America. I wanna, it's crazy. And you got placed in Boise, which I, you know, you probably had never heard of Idaho before, I imagine. A lot of people in America probably have never heard of Idaho before. No. Um, what was that like? <laughs> what was it like for you? Here you were in this completely new country and this new city of Boise, your family. Tell me, tell me about your first night there, your first week there. What was that like for you? Well, the first, um, like, because we came, like, it wasn't as dark. But uh, so we got off the plane, they brought us to our house, and... We went in the house and we saw like all these furniture and, you know, like a living room setting. We thought, okay, this is where we're supposed to be. So everybody was just 
getting their things ready, unpacking. And then the lady was like, oh, no, you put it, your stuff in here, meaning the rooms. So she and we looked at her like really weird. Like, what do you mean we put our stuff in there? So she and she uh, like put her hand up to wave us over and we followed her. And then she showed us the first room. And my mom said, oh, this is great. Yeah, like she was planning on where each of us was staying. She, and my, the lady looked at her, she's like, no, the other kids, the room is right there. And I tell you, when I mind just, like, what? We came from what I call like a box, our house. Like, like actually, it was shaped like a box. It was one bed. We, my mom, my stepdad um, slept on that and my little sister like, so four people slept on the bed. My brother and I slept on the mat. And the the other space that we had, we had our um, clothes and on the other side as a storage. So we didn't do anything in the, house, in the house but to sleep. We are outside until it's in the night, then we go inside to sleep. But we got to America where everything is in one place. We have a bedroom. And a bathroom, not even just a bedroom, two bedrooms to be precise. Two to us is like, like I, I question I was a day. And as a little girl, yes, I was excited, but then the fear hits. Like, am I going to lose this? Or we are we just going to, you know, they're just going to come and say, hey, actually, you guys don't deserve this, and they're going to take it away. You want to be excited, but at the same time, you're still on the edge because after all, you don't know this country. You don't know what their intention is. It looks uh, good right now, but they're going to come back and take it later. Mm. And my mom also, and I could tell my mom also had that same thought, but she didn't want to say it because she didn't want to like, scare the kids and didn't want to look ungrateful. So we kept saying, thank you, kept saying, thank you. But then they never came where they took it away from us. It just the process just kept on going. It moved on to three bedrooms and then four bedrooms, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, mm. maybe this is, this does belong to us after all." Yeah, I want to hear about some of the early uh, people or moments that really helped you feel like, "Yes, you belong here. This is your new home." Tell me about any of those that stick out to you. When we first came that first night, the lady that brought us. Um, bless her soul. She made us spaghetti and <laughs> at that time, just some red sauce. I mean, later we found out that it was tomato sauce, but some red sauce. And she put on the spaghetti. She's like, dinner is ready. As we look at each other, like, what is happening right now? You know, we were like, okay, great. Thank you. Never ate it. Um, and then uh, there was a woman that knew that new refugees were coming over. So she knock on our door. And when we opened the door, there was a black woman standing there. We're like, oh my gosh, please tell me. <laughs> you know, the thought and the joy came with like, people like us. Oh my gosh. And she came in and she was, she was talking to us. Um, she's from Sudan. So we didn't speak the same language, but she, in her, like, she tried to break down the English as slow as possible for us to understand because we're still getting it, you know, adjusted. And then she told us, she's like, and we show her, we're like, what is like, what is this? We show her the spaghetti and the red sauce. She's like, huh, like, let me show you where, you know, like tomorrow I'll come over and I will show you where you guys can get rice. And when we heard the, like the uh, word rice, we're like, yep, mm-hmm. 
that that alone, because she's like, there's a store where you can get um, she told, uh, uh, Maggie, um, the pepper that we use, the habanero pepper, the orange one. She told all these seasoning that we use in our country. And then so I was like, oh, and I looked at my mom. My mom was like, they got ready for us. Mm. And that represents for us. We're like, maybe this is most definitely it. Like having, um, uh, coming from a, going into a different country and being able to um, get something that you were used to at home, it gives you security, like security. Because to us, that's that's that was huge because we felt we left everything. We knew nothing. We were vulnerable. We were in the middle of nothing. Anybody could come and take advantage at any time. And then the one thing, the comfort that we needed, a lady, a walk through that door provided for us, which was the food that we were like, okay, we can still go on. Yeah, that's such a... A beautiful thing that she offered you probably so small in her mind yeah i'll show you where the ethnic markets are but for you it meant the world obviously you're still talking about it now Ooh, so that's cool. like and at that time i knew how to cook because like in the refugee camp as an older girl they trained you how to take care of a family because at any time your family can be taken um rebels like they were still fighting war they were coming in and out of the camp and families were still losing their lives so at any time, so my mom trained me to be prepared for that situation. So when the lady told us all these things that we, you know, about the food and my mom just being the only person, she knew that if she had to leave and go somewhere, I can take care of everybody else. Because that's why, like how I was trained. So you had, you said Mrs. Lincoln was your teacher that really mm-hmm. inspired you in fourth grade. Um, what about her uh, made an impression on you or her teaching? She um, made me feel I felt like I wasn't stupid. Like I came in fourth grade without knowing my ABC. I didn't know how to spell my name. Everybody else was ahead of me. The teacher that I had in front of me was talking to me. She was more like talking at me versus actually seeing me. Mm. And when I was just sitting there, in a room and being the only black person. And uh, Miss Lincoln came to my classroom and she pulled me out and it just told me to follow her and I followed her into a room. And her the present her present, the way she like her action told me that I can trust this person. I was able to actually communicate with her. She asked me about uh, for my name and uh, she like gave me uh, show me videos and things that match the letters that she was telling me. Like, she, and when she was teaching me, it didn't feel like, how do you, how, do you not understand this? It's like, she already knew that I wasn't going to understand it. So she prepared herself to give that extra patient until I do understand it. Mm-hmm. And I told that's, that's how I lead. And um, with her teaching, it was led with love because if you're teaching uh, when you teach with love, regardless of the struggle that comes, the big once the base is love, it can be figured out. Mm. A, a kid that is struggling, a kid that is giving you a hard time, just when you, once you look at that kid and know that you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to love you and we will figure it out. It can be figured out. You're also, in addition to um, 
being an educator, you you lead the Makaitis dancers. And I've had the joy of watching the Makaitis dancers perform and it's it's beautiful and, and I just saw a video the other day of little girls in school watching the Makaitis perform and these tiny little girls following all the older girls' moves and dancing along. What a beautiful moment for these kids. Um, so tell me more about the Makaitis dancers and really what drives you to, to be a leader and a mentor in that. I um, grew up growing up in a refugee camp and as many Africans would, um, uh, we call it, agree with this, um, being like the mental wellness, the depression, the things that's going on, like you have to be tough. It's like period. That's no question asked. There's no such thing as, oh, love on me, hug me. Uh, no, like we got to go. If When it's time, it's time. And they did that for a reason. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't understand. I just thought, I was just like, okay, parents are just, we're just slaves to our parents. Mm-hmm. But like, when I got to America and I, then I started to understand because situ- based on the situation, things change. And so back in the camp, what I, I did all my chores and dancing was how I got through my, my days, the, like how I got through things that bothered me that I didn't tell anybody that I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. So I just did it with my friends. They were always um, in the night. We were all gathered underneath the tree and then they would be doing drumming um, the older uh, men in the community that would drum a lot and the kids would do like dancing contests and things like that. That was our joy. And so when I came here, I don't, I don't have an older sister. I wish I did, but mm-hmm. I, I don't. So I was the older sister and I was like, how can I um, be useful to my community? Because I believe that there's a reason that that bus turned around and came back to get us. There's a reason for it. And whatever that reason may be, I would rather contribute in positive ways than negative ways. So that's how I started the, the dance team for me to also provide what I had as a kid to those um, kids as well. Wow. And you also um, founded, I believe, with your you and your mom, the founders of the Makaitis Heart Foundation. Mm-hmm. And you recently had an opportunity with her to go to Liberia and um, tell me about that trip and when was it and what did it mean for you? <laughs> it was quite interesting because as much as I know the culture, the country was different. Like I, it was my first time seeing it. I was, you know, very young when I left and going there and seeing things and seeing kids like me, like I saw, I saw kids doing the exact same thing I did. And I felt like I felt sorry for them because I, I knew that they're doing, they're carrying all these heavy things and I know what is going to cause them physically. And they're uh, like moving around doing all these extra things because they have to do it. And that, that broke my heart. Um, but it was extremely joyful when I was able to um, go out to the village area and gathered the kids there and that to me i was just like wow yeah this is definitely (laughs) like this is my path there's no changing and education has always been a path that my mother and i have been on because my mom didn't go to school she was enslaved uh, by her like family members because she wanted to go to school and she was like she was a female so she didn't go to school she was meant for marriage 
And that's why she fought so much. And she was like, my kids have to go to school. At least they can go back home. One of them can go back home and help education there to um, stop young girls um, from going through what I also did. And that's like, and that's why we, we like, we went back home and that we did the research. I went to different schools. I asked questions because the whole idea is not to go and take over what they're doing. The idea is to go there, partner of what is working and help and assist on what, on what is not working. I, I'm not rich, but I have the, God have given me the ability to connect with people and have a way of bringing people together. So I was like, I can use that and um, start a nonprofit and work from there. That's what I can do. I can do, I can put for my best, to the best of my ability to connect people and see if we can get education to be improved here. People listening want to um, be involved in what you're doing and support what you're doing. What What's the best way for them to do that? They can go on our page, um, Makaida's Heart Foundation. We have um, mostly Facebook is what we use. So they can go through um, through Facebook and get in contact with me. They can um, also go through our GoFundMe. Um, this year we collected um, about 10,000 children's book to go in the um, different schools to carry out the project of um, building mini libraries for the uh, schools that are over there. And we are we were able to um, thank God we were able to get some uh, have somebody over there that was able to gather volunteers from different schools um, of female males older adults like all mixture for for them to be part of building that mini libraries um, in their schools and um, being part of that change and so that's what we are currently working on so if People that are listening would like to support, go through our Facebook. We have our GoFundMe open um, for that purpose. That's great. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed talking with you, Joetta. Thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with us, for being open. And I really admire your mom just from what I've heard about her. And I admire you and the leadership that you bring to our state. So Thank you so much. Um, I want you just to leave our listeners with maybe one piece of advice or something that you would like them to walk away with or think about. Honestly, um, I know sometimes they say, like, don't necessarily follow your heart because your heart can lead you to many things. (laughs) Uh, But I would say follow your heart. Like, know exactly what it is that you feel that is your calling and do all you can regardless of the struggles that come through. And sometimes there are going to be days where you're just like, this is not for me anymore. But you know it's for you when you keep drawing back to the same thing. So I would say follow your heart and what, what you feel. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all for joining our conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. And we do have a calendar there that does feature when the Makaitis dancers have events. Sometimes they join us for our events, which is always a good time. So be sure to check it out. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. 
Be sure to join us for World Refugee Day celebrations on June 16th in Twin Falls and June 17th in Boise. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics.